Cool. So um, for any of you who don't know me, I imagine most of you do, but um, some of you might not. I'm Rachel and um, my husband, Jim, the one that I just said was sulking in a corner, are the pastors here of Kingdom Vineyard. And yet, like Alistair and Lucy said, if we don't know you and we haven't met you, we would uh, love to say hi, however we might be able to. So please do get in touch with us. So this morning we are continuing our sermon series in the book of John, which we have been in on and off for quite some time. Um, but uh, handily in the run up to Easter this year, we are looking at the events in the lead up to Jesus's crucifixion. And so I'm now gonna waffle for a few more seconds to give you a chance to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. Last week, Jim took us through the story of Jesus being questioned by Pilate and Pilate and the Jewish leaders arguing over what to do with him. And Jim gave us a really helpful insight into what judgment means through that passage, um, looking at how we sift ourselves in God's eyes through the choices we make. Um, I found it a really helpful explanation. And so if you weren't with us last week and you would like to catch up, you can do that on our YouTube channel. So this week, the story moves on to the crucifixion itself, starting with Pilate handing Jesus over to the chief priests to be crucified. And before I say any more, why don't we uh, read this week's passage together? Um, this is John chapter 19, verses 16 to 27. And my lovely friend Lizzie is going to read for us. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Amen. And thank you so much, Lizzie. I imagine at some point in your life or uh, perhaps in a movie you've watched a really sketchy situation play out and you've thought I cannot believe that's just happened. Who would do that? Well this is similar to the reaction that I have 
when I read about the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. I can't believe the lengths that the Jewish leaders, God's own people, will go to to get rid of Jesus. I can't believe Pilate abdicates responsibility and lets them have their way. And I can't believe the soldiers are sat dividing up Jesus' clothes for themselves while he's dying on the cross. The crucifixion story is a story of some people behaving abysmally, of people doing people stuff with terrible consequences. We know that Jesus had to die. That was God's plan to bring us all into restored relationship with him. But every time I read the story, I'm reminded that although that's true, it doesn't excuse the actions of the others in the story. And then there's Jesus. I reckon you can tell a lot about what's going, deep, going on deep down in someone's character by the way they act under pressure and stress. How do they treat others? What do they turn to for comfort in those times? Today's passage shows Jesus in his darkest hour and in his greatest pain, and his actions are a stark contrast to those who have brought about his death. Right to the very end, Jesus has his focus on his father's will and on looking after those he's leaving behind. His love was on display right to the end. No one could argue, I don't think, from today's passage that those who put Jesus on the cross acted well. And I don't think anyone could deny Jesus's resilience and love. And yet I can't be sure that in the same situation, I would act more like Jesus than I would like Pilate, the soldiers and the religious leaders. Like Pilate, I have a tendency to being persuaded by whoever's shouting the loudest. And I've been known to people please for the sake of an easy life. And also like the soldiers, I can stray into focusing too much on earthly stuff. And so this morning, I want us to briefly go back to the higher English classroom and do a bit of a compare and contrast on this passage's main characters. We've got Pilate, the soldiers and Jesus. Now, English at school was by far my worst subject, so we will see how this goes. My fairly obvious point this morning is that we ought to be more like Jesus and less like the other characters in this story. But how do we actually do that? What steps can we all take to move away from some of our less pleasant traits and towards characters that look more like Jesus? My plan for today, for those of us who like a sermon roadmap to follow, Caitlin, this one's for you, is to first take a look in turn at Pilate, the soldiers and Jesus, and then to think about how this applies to each of us today and how we can be more like Jesus. Up first then is Pilate, who at the beginning of today's passage hands over Jesus to the Jewish leaders to be crucified. This is a short verse, but one that says a lot. By this point, Pilate has already questioned Jesus for himself, and he comes to the conclusion that there's no reason to charge him. And on top of that, his wife has a troubling dream about Jesus and warns Pilate to have nothing to do with him. 
and you can find that recorded in Matthew 27, 19, if you're interested. So it seems to me that Pilate would have been best listening to his gut and his wife and either removing himself from the situation entirely, or perhaps even better, would have been for him to use his power for good. But this isn't what happens. Mark records in his gospel, chapter 15, verse 15, that Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified to satisfy the crowds. This is a classic example of making decisions out of fear and out of a desire to people please. I have to put my hands up and admit at this point that I have such a tendency to people please. If you can cast your minds back to the days when we were allowed to eat together in restaurants with our friends, imagine that. I would always be the one to say, I don't mind where we go, whatever you like. But what I actually mean by that is often that I do have a preference, but I don't want to say what it is because I don't want to take responsibility if people don't like their food. So if I ever tell you, for example, that I would be happy to go to Cromars over Tailend, please call me out for people pleasing. That's a lie because clearly Tailend every single time. This is a fairly trivial example, but at the center of my food-based people-pleasing is a fear of disappointing people and a fear of not being liked. In these moments, instead of looking to Jesus for my identity, I'm looking to other people for affirmation and trying to be as likable as possible. This isn't a huge problem when it comes to restaurant choices, and really, I don't mind Cromars, their fish is quite nice and fresh. But as we can see from Pilate's story, being driven by a desire to be liked really can have serious and unpleasant consequences. So my advice for myself and for any other people pleasers among us this morning is this. In order to be able to stand firm in God's truth and our true identity in him when the pressure is on, we need to, need to have invested our time and ourselves in rooting our identity in him now. The more secure and established we are as a child of God, filled with his word and his wisdom, the less the wobbles of the world or the opinions of others will be able to push us around when conflict comes. Let's move on and have a look at what else Pilate gets up to in this passage. Moving on to verses 19 and 22, Pilate makes a sign to hang above Jesus' head. And then he has a run-in with the chief priests because they don't like what he's written. Time for a power struggle. Pilate has written that Jesus is the king of the Jews, but the Jews say that he's not their king. At this point, it seems to me that Pilate is well and truly fed up with the Jews and with their demands on him. He's just let them overrule him to kill Jesus. And his refusal to change the wording on the sign he's just written is perhaps a desperate attempt to try and claw back some of the power that he's just handed them so freely. In Pilate's desire to keep everyone happy, he's given away too much and now finds himself scrabbling around to hold on to what little he can. This is a trap I think we can easily fall down to. 
Have you ever seen someone make a really big deal out of something that isn't actually a big deal at all? They transfer their frustration or hurt from one situation or person onto another. Perhaps you might be aware that you've done this yourself. There isn't usually a winner when that happens in my experience. It just tends to leave everyone a little bit broken. Happily for us though, the Lord doesn't mind when we crumble in front of him or even rant to him when things are really hard. And I think he'd much rather we go to him for help or with our hurt than lash out on one another. At this point, I just want to take a quick tag out of my higher English character study to think about that sign above Jesus' head for a minute. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, it read. It was also written in three languages, Aramaic, which was the national language, Latin, which was the official language, and Greek, which was commonly used by different nationalities to communicate with one another. And by writing the sign in a way that could be understood by everyone who saw it, Pilate ended up doing a bit of accidental prophecy here. He was suggesting that Jesus died for everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There's a place for everyone to meet Jesus at his cross, to join him in his death and to receive from him his new life. So this sign that Pilate and the religious leaders meant for evil, God did what God does and used it for good and for his glory. Don't you absolutely love it when you see that happen? I imagine most of us will have spent some time in a country where they speak a different language. The road signs are in a different language, the menus are in a different language and you don't understand anything that is going on around you. It can be a bit of a daunting feeling. But then when you find someone who speaks your language or a cafe with a menu you understand, you suddenly feel like there's a place for you here, like you're welcome. Likewise, this sign in many languages above Jesus' head is an invitation for all, a place for us all. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 reminds us that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus died for all of us, and that's what the sign above his head symbolised. Let's move on and have a look at the soldiers in verses 23 and 24. These are the soldiers who were put in charge of crucifying Jesus and then keeping watch until he died. It was standard practice for their wages to be the clothes of the crucified, and this time was no different. Four pieces of Jesus' clothing were divided between the four soldiers. But then there was this fifth garment that was too valuable to divide. The, their solution to this was to cast lots, which in the language of today might be more like whoever rolls the highest on the dice, whoever pulls the longest straw. Each soldier wants the highest value garment for themselves. Jesus wasn't their usual criminal and... Perhaps they had an inkling that these clothes might be extra valuable at some point in the future. Reading this part of the story in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verse 54, it does suggest that when Jesus died and the earthquake struck, these soldiers did in fact realise that Jesus was the Son of God. And I find myself wondering what they did with his clothes after that. 
did they go ahead and make some money out? Hmm. Did they go ahead and make some money out of them thinking, wow, this guy really was something special. So these clothes are really going to make me some money. Or in that moment were their lives so completely transformed that they were no longer so focused on their wallets. I hear a warning for myself in this story of the soldiers. I know God is real and I know he's always working. I even know that he's a loving father with deep, deep pockets and that providing for his children is well within his abilities. Yet sometimes I find myself distracted from his work and what he's saying to me by being more concerned on my worldly stuff. But God in his kindness has sent me the occasional earthquake by providing me with above and beyond what I needed. And I'm so grateful for this, these reminders of his incredible generosity to his children. Now, having spent some time thinking about how not to act, let's turn our attention to the example we should follow, Jesus. Even in his darkest hour and in the face of death, Jesus remains eyes fixed on his father and on loving people and looking out for them. In verses 25 to 27, Jesus sees his mother and his beloved young disciple standing nearby. And his parting gift to them is each other as mother and son. On one level, this would have been a practical arrangement. Mary was likely widowed and about to lose a son. And so in giving her to John as his mother, that would leave someone Jesus really trusted looking out for her. But there's more to it than that. One of the most comforting things for us when we're grieving is having someone close by who's experienced the same pain that we have. And I imagine Jesus had thought about this as well. Mary and John, about to have lost a son and a really close friend, will now be around for each other when they need it most. What a stunning final act from Jesus. Thinking about the Ten Commandments for a second, even on the cross, Jesus is putting God above all else and honouring his mother. Meanwhile, everyone else in the story is breaking a handful of the other commandments. So a quick summary of the characters in today's passage. We've got Pilate who knows Jesus is innocent and hands him over to be crucified anyway. He writes a mocking sign to hang over Jesus's head and then has a power struggle argument with the Jewish leaders about what it says. We've got the soldiers who crucify Jesus and then divide up his clothes for their own gain. And then we've got Jesus, who keeps his eyes fixed on the father and spends his final moments making sure his mother and his beloved disciple were cared for in his absence. What a contrast. The events leading up to Jesus' death in this passage have some pretty shocking behaviour on display. And whilst we might not be guilty of the same things as Pilate and the soldiers, I still think we can learn things from these events for our lives today. The challenge I want to put before us all this morning is this. What is our behaviour towards other people like? How do we act under pressure? 
Do we do what Jesus did and keep our eyes focused on God and look out for those around us? Or do we have some pilot-like tendencies to people please and misuse our influence? Or perhaps we might identify with the soldiers and have too much focus on money and our worldly, worldly stuff. These are some tough questions. It's uncomfortable to compare ourselves to the people who killed Jesus. And I want to start by saying that there is no condemnation. I am certainly not here to beat us all over the head by pointing out our sins. Remember the amazing thing about this very story we've just looked at is that Jesus died so that we don't have to walk around with our sins hanging over our heads all the time under a cloud of guilt and shame. Jesus' death and resurrection offers us a way out of that and a freedom from it. Thinking practically then, how do we avoid the pitfalls Pilate and the soldiers seem to have fallen in? I think 1 Corinthians 16 verses 13 and 14 summarize it nicely. And hopefully that will appear on the screen at some point soon. Marvelous, thank you very much. This verse says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. It seems to me that if Pilate had had these words stuck up on the wall in his office, perhaps in a nice calligraphy design, he might not have found himself being pushed over by the Jewish authorities, persuaded to override his gut and sentencing an innocent man to death. So how do we live out these verses? How do we be on our guard and stand firm in the faith? Well, we can't fix a problem we don't know is there. Sometimes I am really aware of my own specific sins. For example, I know I have a tendency towards being selfish and taking the biggest slice of brownies for myself. Sorry, Jim. And I know I'm prone to choosing a quiet life over doing what Jesus is asking me to do. And so that means I can pray specifically for the strength to fight against those tendencies. But there are other areas where I have blind spots and I haven't realized yet that that thing that I keep doing or saying doesn't look or sound very much like Jesus at all. If this sounds like something you can relate to, then my practical suggestion is this. Pray something like these verses from Psalm 139 on a regular basis. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, make me more like you, please, Jesus. This is a prayer I found myself praying quite regularly recently, and I've noticed something happening. On a few occasions when something unpleasant was about to come out of my mouth, I felt a nudge to reassess and ask, are these words kind? And if the answer has come back no, then I keep my mouth shut. I find this particularly difficult when what I was about to say would have made people laugh 
and I refer you back to my earlier comments about wanting to be liked. But I really think this little corner of the world sounds more like Jesus when I, when we all keep a close eye on what comes out of our mouths. So in conclusion, I really recommend asking God to point out those areas of our lives that could look a bit more like Jesus. I think that's how we can be on our guard. Secondly, we are to be courageous and strong. This is where Pilate really lost his way. It's not that he wasn't sure what was right. It was that he knew what was right and didn't do it. If we're going to keep walking towards Jesus, we will need strength. If we want to avoid the same mistake as Pilate, we need to be influenced by God's voice and not whatever the crowd is yelling at us, no matter how convincing they might be. And we need to be free from fearing other people. For God's voice to be the loudest in our lives, we need to give him plenty of space to speak. We need to be constantly reminded how Jesus lived so that we can choose to follow in his footsteps, which means spending time reading about him in that book we have. Our courage and our strength also come from spending time with the right people. We are made stronger in our faith by having people around us who point us towards him and not away from him. Jim and I are blessed with some absolutely fantastic friends. Whether things are going well or not so well, we've had pastries sent to us by post, voice messages with prayers and prophetic words, and hours and hours spent around dinner tables and fire pits talking about anything and everything. We love spending time with people who love Jesus and who love asking him to guide and bless us. And I cannot tell you how much these things have sustained and encouraged us to push on with what we know God is calling us to do here in East Fife. These are the things that keep us strong. So whether you are blessed with a bestie who prays with you or for you, or whether you're in one of KV's micro home groups, surround yourself with people who will bring God's presence into your life especially when you might feel like your own strength is in short supply. And finally, do everything with love. When our motives are influenced by money or power or status, we can find ourselves doing things that look a bit more like Pilate or the soldiers or the Jews in this passage. But when love is our motive, our actions tend to look a lot like Jesus's. We care for those closest to us. We speak up for those who don't have a voice. We feed the hungry and we encourage each other to be more like Jesus. We might even give someone else the bigger piece of brownie. Friends, it can be so easy to find ourselves looking more like Pilate and the soldiers in this story, but that's not the people we're called to be. We're called to be imitators of God as beloved children. That's from Ephesians 5.1. And we can do this by being on our guard, standing firm in the faith, being courageous, being strong and doing everything in love. And the good news is that God doesn't ask us to do any of this in our own strength. 
there might be some choices we have to make along the way, like sacrificing that bigger piece of brownie. But the Bible tells us that we have help. Before Jesus' death, he's sure to reassure the disciples that he will send another helper, the Holy Spirit, who's going to teach them all things and remind them of all that Jesus said. And that's still true for us today. God wants us to be holy and he wants to help us get there. It's important to remember that Jesus died for us all, even those who put him on the cross and then divided up his clothes. We will make mistakes along the way as we try to be more like Jesus than Pilate because we're human. But because Jesus died, there's forgiveness. There's grace for when we make mistakes. And there's the assurance that we are loved through it all. We can meet him at his cross. We can come to him as we are. And he's kind enough to not leave us as we are. So, friends, let us encourage one another as we try to become more and more like Jesus. And whatever your life looks like at the moment, really whatever your life looks like at the moment, I want to remind you this morning that Jesus' death was, was God's gesture of love for you. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. I thank you for what that means for us. I thank you that even when we don't act well or act like you would have us act, you love us and you long for us to be holy and you help us get there. Father, I pray for everyone here this morning, would they be reminded of what you've done for them? I pray that you would bless all of them with friends to encourage them and strengthen them along the way. Father, I thank you that we can come as we are and that you don't leave us as we are. Would you be changing each and every one of us in this week and going forward? Amen. Back over to you, Alistair and Lucy.